such a great pleasure to be in the house of the Lord this evening with uh, my church family and uh, to give a message that the uh, Lord's put on my heart. And, uh, you know, this is uh, going to, I believe it's going to line up real well with, uh, with the worship that we had uh, a while ago. Uh, this is, uh, I tell you, we go into worship and then the Holy Spirit just rains down on us. And I tell you, it just, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> oh. All righty. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off here by um, um, telling you about a little story. You know, people, uh, people as a whole, they enjoy stories. Stories take us on a journey. Stories can give us insight about things in our lives or maybe what we can see in other people's lives. You know, there's a relational connection. Okay, so tonight, let's share in a story and embark together on a journey and see where this story takes us and what this story reveals to us. We all have relationships from spouses to families to friends, etc. And sometimes the ones that are closest to us can inflict the most damage to us by the words that they say. Even when those things spoken are intended for good and can be justified, can still be damaging and destructive. So the felt need that I want to raise tonight is this, how do we respond to someone who is hurting, troubled, or in crisis? Or how has someone responded to us when we've been hurting, troubled, or maybe been in a crisis? Has it been through actions, or has it been through words? Okay. Tonight, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be, I'm going to be speaking from the book of Job. We're going, to, we're going to share in the story of Job tonight. And uh, some of you may know the story of Job. Um, some of you may only know parts of it. Um, I'm going to try to cover as much as I can. Uh, try to go through and try to cover the entire story tonight, you know, with certain highlights. However, the things that I do not cover uh, tonight, um, that I would encourage you that the book of Job is a very, very good book. Um, there's a lot of messages in there. A lot of them. And there, there's, there's parts in there that will have you laughing one minute and crying the next. And you'll see, you know, so many different things that goes on that can relate to everyday life as we are today. Okay? So, intro to Job. Three parts of the story that most people talk about. Number one, the first part that most people talk about is the interaction between God and Satan. Okay? Number two, the second part is what they talk about is the loss and suffering of Job. Okay? And then the third part is the restoring of Job's losses and his health, which were doubled. Okay? The parts that are hardly ever talked about are the friends of Job. Okay? And the friends of Job were Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu. 
and the interaction between them, the interaction between them <laughs> and conversation that escalated into a debate and then into a dispute. And as the story goes along, it, it, it becomes a pretty nasty dispute. Okay. However, in the end, God brings resolution to it as it comes to an end. Okay. All right. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Job chapter 2. All right, we're going we're gonna to talk about Job's three friends right here. Job chapter 2, starting with verse 11. Okay. And uh, before we start there, you know, just the, uh, uh, the first, uh, first chapter going into part of the second chapter there. This is where, uh, this is where uh, the interaction between God and Satan and, you know, what, uh, you know what, what's going on with them and how... You know, Satan came and, you know, uh, you know took uh, destroyed things of Job, and he caused, you know, uh, bad health to come up on him. And so, I mean, everything was just in a mess right now, okay? And so, as we come to uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse 11 here, now this is where uh, we come into where uh, Job's three friends here. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity... That had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Neamathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Okay? Now, what I want to point out here uh, in, in those verses that I just read right there, number one, these three men together, all right, they made it their personal mission to go to their friend in a time of need. Okay? They dropped everything Everything, uh, you know, in their lives at that moment to travel from afar, okay? And so that was, this right here shows, okay, where their heart was towards their friend, okay? They came to help take, a, take care of a friend in need, okay? When they got there, they paid attention to the pain of Job, okay? His pain... Um, uh, the pain that he had, uh, and, they, and they experienced it with him, okay, and listened to his heart breaking as he was talking, okay. And then the other thing I want to point out here is they sat with him on the ground for seven days with their robes torn and dust on their heads. Now, back then, when they sat on the ground for seven days like that, okay, well, first of all, you think of the journey from afar where they came from. Of course, it's not very clear in there where, you know, how far they did come, but they did come from afar. And, of course, back then, uh, journeys like that, you know, took a long time. You know, it took a long time to plan, you know, and then it took a long time to, to get from one point to another, okay? So it's not like that they could just drive across town, you know, and visit a friend, okay? So they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, Okay. How many of us today would go through that with a friend in need? Would we be would we be willing to do that? Just something to think about. 
Okay. So they did experience the moment with him. Okay. Now we go into Job chapter three. I told you we're going to try to try to go through the whole the whole book of Job this evening. Job chapter three. Okay. Here it talks about, and like I said, I'm just hitting highlights, and I just want to encourage you to, in your own personal time, to if you haven't already, you know, to read into this and, and to study this and look at it. There's a, there's a lot of messages in there. Okay. Uh, Job chapter three. Uh, Job curses his birth and becomes weary. All right. All right. We go into chapter four, chapter four through five. Okay. All right. Here's where Eliphaz starts in. Okay. All right. Eliphaz accused Job of not practicing what he preached. He was sarcastic and not supportive. He made theological points rather than comforting him. He shared experiences instead of sharing encouragement. He made assumptions and not assurances. He gave advice and not affirmation. He had a religious attitude and not powerful principles. And then we go into Job chapters 6 through 7, and chapter 6 and 7 uh, is Job's response, how he responded to what Eliphaz had said. So basically we can see here that, that Eliphaz was just tearing him down. Okay? He wasn't comforting. He wasn't reassuring he was just beat down, okay? Now, like I said, with Job's response in chapter 6 through 7, okay, what he wanted to illustrate here, he wanted to, he wanted to show Eliphaz that what he was going through. He wanted him to be in his shoes, okay? So, here are the things in Job's chapter 6 through 7, okay? He went from a, de a devastated life to a discouraged heart. He went from a discouraged heart to a distaste for life. He went from a distaste of life to a despair of hope. He went from a despair of hope to a desire for help. And before we go any further, I forgot to mention that most, most of the book of Job has... Um, it's pretty much a dialogue between Job and his friends and how they go back and forth and back and forth. And um, the entire uh, conversation, you know, like I said, it starts out, you know, just a, a, as a conversation. And it goes into a debate and then it goes into, you know, just an all-out argument. Okay. Job chapter 8, uh, we look here and we see this is Bildad's input. Okay. Bildad accused Job of being a hypocrite to say that he is right with God. Bildad also accused Job of being wicked because of his, his extreme loss and intense suffering. Okay? Chapters 9 through 10, this is Job's response. And there, like I said, you know, I'm just hitting, hitting certain points, you know, just kind of an outline, if you will. Job's response, uh, you know, it brought down Job even more. <clears throat> Excuse me brought down Job even more. And these things that were being said was weighing heavier and heavier on his, on his heart. However, he still maintained his integrity with God. Okay? And we go in Job chapter 11. 
and we come to uh, uh, where Zophar comes into the picture. And his input on this was to, he told Job, says, repent from your wrongdoings now to regain prosperity. Okay? Chapters 12 through 15. Okay? Job is continually being torn down. However, he still maintains his integrity with God. Eliphaz still continued with his rash words, and then it became a debate between them. Okay, so here's where the debate starts, you know, between Job and his friends. Okay, and then we go to chapters 16 through 31. Like I said, it went from a debate to a dispute among Job and his friends, you know, causing Job to question God and desiring to hear from God. Okay. Chapters 32 through 37, this is where Elihu comes into the picture. This is one of Job's other friends. Okay, and it says here that Elihu's anger was aroused. And the reason that his anger was aroused is because uh, was aroused at Job and his friends. The reason it was aroused at Job is because Job justified himself rather than God. And he was aroused at his friends because they did not have an answer for Job. And they condemned him. Okay. Now if we go to uh, chapter, uh, go to Job chapter 34, uh, verses 2 through 3. I'll show you something right here. Okay, 34, 2 through 3, like I said, this is where Elihu comes into the picture. It says, Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Okay, so what he was doing here was he was trying to get their attention. Throughout this entire conversation and this debate, and then ended up being an argument, okay, what he was doing, he, he was observing, he was listening. He, he had about all that he could take. He said, look, he said, you guys are doing this wrong. This is not right. Okay? He didn't speak up at first. He observed the whole thing. Well, first of all, he was the youngest out of all those men, the youngest one. And it says in the story there that he was afraid to say anything because of his age. Because they were much older than him and they didn't, or he didn't think that his counsel would account for anything. Okay? And then we drop down, uh, same chapter, uh, 34, uh, verses uh, 10 through 12 here. There again it says, Therefore listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. For he repays man according to his work and makes man to find, a, to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly. Okay? So with all this going on, first of all, all the friends and Job, they, they had no idea what was going on. 
okay? They didn't see at that, you know, they didn't see into the spiritual realm. They had no idea what was going on, okay? There was a lot of assumptions going on. There was a lot of accusations going on. And, you know, it, it just ended up turning into a, a, just a huge mess. And what I'd like to share with, you know, about this right here is that what I'd like for you to look at is how many times have we been in those situations or we have witnessed those situations to where, you know, we see somebody else uh, that's receiving wrong counsel um, or uh, same thing with us, you know. People come to us and try to give us, you know, counsel, okay? What I, what I want you to understand here is, is that when, when you do, you know, I'm not saying don't give counsel, but what I'm saying is, is that make sure when you do give counsel to one another as brothers, sisters in Christ, is to make sure that it's according to God's Word. Amen? Okay. So, you know, don't, don't base your... Don't base your, uh, 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 <laughs> don't base your uh, counsel on your feelings or, you know, what you think, okay? Always pray about it. Seek God, and if God has you to say something to that person, then say it. If he doesn't, then don't say anything, Okay. All right, communicate as you were, um, 38 through 42, the last chapters here, okay? Uh, verses 38 through 42, you know, like I said, these are just quick highlights here, okay? Uh, God answers Job. Uh, God speaks to Eliphaz, uh, and uh, uh, 42, verses 7 through 8 there. And God restores Job's losses, in which, you know, in the end that they were doubled. So he got doubled with what he had before, okay? So here, here's a challenge question for you that I've got tonight, okay? What are we going to do about this, okay? Our words have power. Our words have meaning. Words have motive, and words have impact. Everything that we say to somebody has those things, okay? We have, again, they have the power. We have, or the words have meaning. The words have motives, and the words have impact. So the question is, is that do you speak according to God's word, or according to your word. Common vision I'd like to cast here tonight is first that Job's friends did not get everything right, nor did they go about saying the right things. However, they were not condemned. I'd like to show you a couple of scriptures if I could. Uh, Proverbs ten nineteen, And if I'm not mistaken, these two, if I remember correctly, these two 
scriptures. Pastor Paul had uh, mentioned these two before uh, when he was preaching his sermon uh, about the tongue. And uh, so Proverbs ten nineteen says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And then the next one is Ecclesiastes 5, 2 through 3. It says, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. However, the friends of Job, what they did get right, they got it right in a big way. They showed where their heart was by the actions they took going to him. Actions always speak louder than words, rather it be with a smile, a hug, spending time with someone, or simply just by meeting a need without saying a word. There's a, there's a movie that's been out for quite some time that uh, just happened or I'm, when I was uh, studying and praying about this, uh, about this lesson this evening. And a story came to my mind, and it was about Forrest Gump, the uh, movie Forrest Gump. And there was, uh, there was a particular uh, scene, but before we get to that, uh, Forrest and Jenny, okay, they, uh, Forrest spent a lot of time with Jenny. He was always, uh, you know, th- he was always there for her, okay? And later on, you know, she had struggled with demons, you know, when she was trying to, you know, when she was trying to get her life back on track and, and you know, she was facing so many different things, you know, from her past. And, and uh, you know, during her childhood, she endured, uh, she endured uh, child abuse, you know, from her father and neglect, okay? And this right here was a loss that, you know, Forrest didn't know anything about, okay? And so there's one particular scene, you know, where later on towards the end of the movie, you know, where they come to that old house where she grew up in. Of course, you know, it's, it's abandoned. You know, it looks like it's about to fall over and, you know, everything just growing up around it and so on and so forth. And so when they came to that house, okay, Jenny was faced with her past again. And she began to start throwing stones at it. Just kept throwing stones, just kept chunking them, kept chunking them, breaking windows and doing this and that with everything that she had until she was just exhausted, and then she just dropped on the ground and just wept. Well, Forrest, he didn't, he didn't understand what was going on with this. It was a loss that he knew nothing about. You know, and one of the, <laughs> the most famous things, one of the most famous things that he said in that, you know, the only thing that he could say. See, he, he, he was a man of few words. And when he spoke, you know, it just made sense at the time. And his quote that he said was that sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. 
we see that we see that humor in that of that statement, you know. Plus, by the way, he says it. Well, what we got to look at here in this is that at that time, you know, he didn't understand. He didn't know what was going on with her. And just that little bit right there, you know, just happened to line up. But another powerful thing after that is that even though he did not understand, you know, what was going on and why she was like that, the next part in that movie shows where he had that house bulldozed to the ground. He met a need of Jenny and didn't have to say a word. He didn't go ask her permission, said, well, you know, what, 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 do, you, what, do, you think I, what do you think about me bulldozing this house down for you? He didn't do that. Didn't do that. Sometimes life's wounds are so great that no amount of stone throwing can ease the pain. None. Sometimes we can't understand the pain that we can see in others. But we can be there for them and listen to the concerns of their heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for another wonderful day that you've given us, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for this time that we come together. And Lord, it says in your word that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in the midst. Lord, we just, we just thank you for your presence here, Lord. And we just thank you for the, uh, for the word that was given tonight, Lord, and the truth in the word. And it's the truth that sets us free, Lord. Lord, I just ask right now for each and every one of us tonight, Lord, just to just continue to give us strength and wisdom, Lord, to always keep our eyes upon you whenever we may not always know what to do, Lord, but to keep our eyes upon you. Lord, and to give us the strength and the wisdom, Lord, to be everything that we are called to be according to your will and your purpose, Lord. Lord, and for continued strength and wisdom that... You know, in situations to where we can meet a need of a friend or a family member, Lord, to just give us the wisdom to know what to do, Lord, and not to do it, you know, on our own accord, Lord, but do it according to your will and your purpose, Lord. Lord, and I just ask that you forgive us for our sins and our shortcomings and trespasses, Lord. And Lord, and just as we forgive those who sin and trespass against us, Lord, and thank you for tonight. Lord, and just ask that you just uh, be with us throughout the rest of the week, Lord. Lord, and let our actions and our attitudes always reflect you. For it's these things we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.